Well, welcome back, everyone. My name is Nick Price. I am the senior pastor here at Trinity, and we are a church whose mission is to help people look, live, and love more like Jesus. And uh, if you are a guest with us, a special welcome to you. We're delighted that you're joining us this weekend. And I want to let you know where we are right now. We are in the middle of a series in which we have been looking at the letters of Peter, an early disciple of Jesus. And the reason why we're looking at these letters is because these letters contain ancient wisdom for our modern times, specifically in terms of giving us guidance about what it means to live well in a world that is constantly changing. But this weekend, we're actually going to take a pause to step back from the letters for a moment and to actually look at the author which is why I think it's only right that before we dive into our study, uh, we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message that he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray together with me? Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks that you have gathered us together, that here in this time, in this moment, we have a chance to hear your word spoken once more to us, that we might once more receive wisdom for how to live well in this world. And so, God, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive the message that you have for us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So one of the questions that I think we have to ask ourselves is why we even care that we're listening to and and studying the letters of this random person from the first century. And the reason why we're paying attention to Peter and to what he has to say and the life that he lived is because of the fact that he was a close friend and confidant of probably one of the most influential people in Western history. And that's Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, H.G. Wells, talking about Jesus, says that he believes that Jesus is arguably the most dominant figure in all of history. When you look at his impact, his influence on the world, it is truly hard to measure. And, And the reason we focus on Peter's life is because Peter was one of Jesus' friends. He was one of Jesus' close confidants. He was someone who who walked with Jesus during his ministry, who observed his life, his death, and yes, his resurrection. And Peter himself went through quite a journey as a person. When we first meet Peter in the Gospels, he is a pretty hot-headed, rash young man. But as we encounter him in his letters, what we find is that he has become a much wiser, more mature leader who's able to speak into anxious times to anxious people in ways that give them hope and peace and confidence and joy, even though the world around them just seems to kind of be falling apart. This is the reason why Peter's letters are so important to us. And Peter has written on a great deal of topics. Uh, So far in in 1 Peter alone, what we found is we've seen Peter talk about things like suffering and leadership and service. He's talked about the relationship between church and state and how to handle life at home and in the workplace and, and so much more. And so the question becomes, how is it that he became the person that he ultimately became? What was it that happened in his life that led him to this place of of truly being a type of person who was just rock solid, as his his namesake says? Someone who's rock solid and able to, to give us wisdom that has stood the test of time. And in order to get the answer to that question, we actually have to look at the at this encounter that we're studying this weekend. It's an important conversation between Peter and Jesus. 
And it's one that actually Peter references at the very, very beginning of his second letter. He says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. It says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, these virtues, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. And I think it is right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. What's Peter talking about? What is he talking about when he says that Jesus revealed to him that, that basically he's going to die? Well, he's actually talking about this moment, this story that we find in John chapter 21. You see, John chapter 21 takes place after Jesus' resurrection. Peter has watched as Jesus has been arrested, been put on trial, ultimately been executed on a cross by the Romans, and he's seen Jesus return again from the dead. But John 21 is a very interesting, very intimate encounter between Peter and Jesus. And the reason that this passage is so important for us is because it not only gives us insight into what formed and shaped Peter, but it actually helps us to understand three important things about what it means to be a Christian. Three important lessons about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So, so we want to go ahead and dive in and take a look at what those three lessons are. Now, the first lesson that we get from this text is that Christians are forgiven people. Christians are forgiven people people. And specifically, we see that in the conversation that, that Jesus has with Peter. Let me just kind of set the scene for us for just a moment. Peter and several of the other disciples have actually gone back to where the whole story began. They've returned to the Sea of Galilee, uh, to the seaside where, where Jesus first met them and first called them to, to become his disciples, first called them to follow him. And they're fishing and, and they have this moment where they haven't caught anything. And again, it's just like that first moment when they were first called. Jesus shows up on the beach after they've spent an entire evening trying to fish and catching nothing. And then Jesus calls out to them and tells them to throw their nets on, on the right side of the boat. And when they do, they catch this immense catch of fish. And it's in that moment they realize that the guy who's standing on the shore is Jesus once more. It's like deja vu. Suddenly they're back at the beginning again and Peter gets excited. He actually jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. The other disciples bring the fish onto, onto the shore and they end up around a fire having this meal with their risen Lord and Savior. But then Jesus takes Peter aside and they go on a walk and it's during that walk that they have this conversation. And during that conversation, Jesus asks Peter a question, but he asks Peter the question three times. He asks Peter the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And, and it's important that we understand why Jesus does that. The reason that he has this very intimate conversation with Peter, the reason that he takes Peter aside is because Peter has messed up. Peter has messed up. You see, during the entire time when, when Jesus was being arrested, being put on trial, being tortured, and then ultimately executed, Peter was nowhere to be found. 
And, and the reason this is important is because Peter was a close friend of Jesus. He, he was the one who was right by Jesus' side over the course of three years of ministry. He watched Jesus as Jesus had performed miracles and raised people from the dead. He listened to all of Jesus' teachings and parables and sermons. And in fact, on the night that he was betrayed, Peter, among the disciples, was the first to declare that even if everybody else betrayed Jesus, Peter never would, that he'd be willing to go with him to the end. But we know what happens that the moment that Jesus is actually arrested, Peter is nowhere to be found. And in fact, at one point when Jesus is even brought to the house of, of one of the high priests, uh, Peter is there in the courtyard kind of listening in as they're questioning Jesus. And, and people recognize Peter as a disciple of Jesus. And they even ask him, aren't you one of his disciples? Aren't you one of his friends? Aren't you one of his, his closest followers? And three times, Peter denies it. He denies that he even knows Jesus. He denies that he ever spent time with this man. He, he, he totally abandons the one that he had called over and over again, rabbi, teacher, and Lord. And so Jesus, in asking Peter three times, do you love me, is, is really taking Peter back to that moment, the moment of Peter's greatest failure. I mean, just think about this for a moment. The, the the, 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 the scene when Peter denies Jesus is, is again around a, a fire. And here now, Jesus and Peter are, are once more at a fire having a conversation. And, and it's around that fireplace that, that people asked him, don't you know Jesus? And Peter three times denies him. And so once again, Jesus kind of takes him back into that moment and really puts the question to him, do you love me? Now, now, the reason that this is important is because Jesus understands that Peter has to confront his failure. Peter has to come face to face with his shortcomings. Peter has to come back to that place of, of finally admitting and recognizing that he's not the great awesome rock that he would have liked to believe himself to be. And, and the thing that we need to understand as modern people is that Jesus does this actually as a gift to Peter. He does this as a gift to Peter. Here's why I say that that's a gift. You see, so many of us today, when it comes to failure, we're, we're totally allergic to failure. We run from our failures or we try to cover up our failures and, or when our failures are ultimately found out, we end up blaming other people for our failures. We spend most of our lives trying to prove ourselves by pretending them, that we are more than we actually are because we believe that if people truly knew us, if they truly knew all of our flaws, if they truly knew our shortcomings and our failures, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with us. And so most of our life is spent in hiding, in hiding from our failures or, or running from them, running from those things that we know that we've done wrong. And yet Jesus brings Peter face to face with those things. And what is so beautiful about how Jesus does it is Jesus in that moment by bringing Peter face to face with his failings shows him that he's still loved. He shows Peter that his failures don't define who he is nor the value that he has in Jesus' eyes. I mean, listen to this encounter again. This is just so beautiful. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Jesus said again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Those words, follow me, would have echoed loudly in Peter's ears because those are the words that Jesus spoke to Peter when they first met. Jesus could have picked any of the religious leaders, any of the Bible experts of his day to become one of his disciples, but instead he chose to get into the boat, to a boat of a poor fisherman, Peter, and say, I want you to be my follower. I want you to be my disciple. And more than that, he doesn't just want Peter to follow him. He wants Peter to ultimately become his friend. Those words, follow me, would have had such weight in Peter's ears because what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I know your failures. I know how you fell short, but I still want you to be with me. I still want you to follow me. Your, your story is not done. Our relationship is not over. You see, there's a beautiful thing about being truly known and fully loved. I think part of the reason why we hide as people is because we believe that if we were truly known, no one would love us. And yet what Jesus shows Peter is he says, I know you, even the very worst parts of you, and I love you nonetheless. I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to follow me. Jesus has Peter revisit this moment of failure, not to condemn him, but to redeem him and to show him that he is loved even when he is at his worst. And the reason that this is so transformative and important for Peter and important for us to understand is because of this. When we understand that we are loved, that we are accepted, even when we're not at our best, it actually reshapes how we approach others. There's no room for pride or arrogance in being a follower of Jesus, but there's a kind of gentleness which enables us to love and serve other people because we know what it's like to be brought face to face with our failures and yet still be told that we are loved and desired. To still be told that God looks at us and calls us his child, to still know that, that God looks at us and says, I still have a purpose and a plan for you, even despite all of your failures, all of your shortcomings. It's when we understand that, that we learn actually what it means to love people, even when they're at their worst and not at their best. You see, there's this overwhelming well of grace that, that Jesus literally just drops Peter into and bathes him in. In fact, I was uh, listening to uh, another sermon by Tim Keller reflecting on this very encounter. And this is what he says. I love how he summarizes what Jesus is essentially saying to Peter. He writes this. He says, plunge your failure into my grace and it'll make you greater than you were before. The more you see your brokenness and the more you plunge yourself into my grace, the more you'll understand other people. The more you'll understand how the human heart works. The more reliant you'll be on me, the less surprised you're going to be about how life goes and the more wise you will become. Jesus' grace is so limitless that it can reach down to us even at our lowest and raise us up once more. And so that's the first lesson that we learn here about what it means to be a Christian. Christians are forgiven people. Christians aren't people who are perfect 
or who have their lives together or who always get it right. And sadly, I think that, that many Christians have forgotten this. We think that church is the place that we have to go to where, where we put on our best face and our best clothes and pretend like everything is just kumbaya and fine. But it gives this false sense to the world about what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not about always putting on a happy face or cleaning up our act. Rather, it's recognizing that though we're failures, we're loved. That in the family that Jesus is creating, it's okay to not be okay to be honest and transparent about ways in which we've fallen short because it's here that we receive words of mercy and forgiveness and grace. It's a first lesson. Christians are people who are forgiven people. But there's a second lesson here, and that's this. Christians are people who are committed to the life of the church. Christians are people who are committed to the life of the church. And, and where we see this lesson is in how Jesus describes what he wants Peter to do. He actually uses an image that we were introduced to last week as we came to the end of 1 Peter chapter 5, where Peter tells the other church leaders that they are to shepherd the flock of God that is in their care. Jesus uses the same kind of imagery when three times he tells Peter to feed my lambs and take care of my sheep. Now, this is a really interesting image for Jesus to choose. And I don't think we've ever slowed down and really thought about why it's so interesting. You see, for us as kind of modern Americans, when we tend to think about sheep, we tend to think about these like cuddly little white fluff balls bouncing along on green pastures. But if you ever actually stop and talk to a shepherd, the first thing that they will tell you about sheep is that they're actually not all that pleasant to be around. And this is funny because of the fact that one of the most common metaphors that the Bible uses for people is this metaphor of sheep. Human beings are, are repeatedly called sheep throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And, and the thing about sheep is that they really aren't like other pets. I mean, they're not like dogs. I mean, dogs are great. You can walk out of your house for 30 seconds, realize you forgot your keys, go back into the house to get your keys, and where is your dog? They're right there. Like you've been gone for ages. They're like, oh my gosh, you're back. I'm so happy that you're here. And they just go crazy and they throw you this, little, this huge party just because you're in their presence. Dogs are awesome for that reason. This is Dogs are, are fun to be around. But sheep are not like that. Sheep give you nothing back. Sheep are routinely described by shepherds as being dirty, stubborn, and stupid. They're constantly needing to be cleaned because they get lice and ticks and they get dirty and gross in, in all of that wool. And actually shearing sheep and then cleaning the wool is this very laborious process because they're just nasty animals. But then on top of it, they're very, very stubborn. They're hard to lead. They often will headbutt and bite the, the very ones who are called to care for them. And furthermore, they're, they're not very intelligent. They often get lost and, and wander into places that are dangerous for them. And they're hard to kind of corral and, and to lead. Sheep are just not pleasant to be around. And yet that's the metaphor that the Bible uses for people. And I think it's because, honestly, as people, we're pretty messy too. We don't naturally want to follow. We rarely get along with others, especially if they're different from us. Often our lives are falling apart in an absolute mess. And, and the reality is, is that we're not very quick to praise or to give thanks to those who are entrusted with our care. And Jesus says to Peter, I want you to serve them 
even though you might get very little in return. I want you to serve and care for them because I love them, because they're actually my sheep. This is my flock. And he says, and what I want you to do is I want you to serve them and to take care of them for your good, not your own. I want you to serve and take care of them for, for their good, not your own. Very, very important for us because I think many people come to the church in order to get something out of it. That, that, we, that we look for churches, we actually go church shopping because we're just looking for the, commu- the community that's just right for me, that's going to meet my needs, that's going to feed me in the ways that I want to be fed. And, and we're constantly looking to the church for our own good and not what we can give back. And what, what Jesus wants Peter to understand and what he wants us to understand is that Christians are actually committed to the life of the church, to serving the church. And this is very, very important because if we come to the church to get our own needs met primarily, to simply see it in a transactional way, not only will it not feed our souls, but it will actually do damage to the community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his beautiful little book, Life Together About the Church, actually writes about this. And I want you to listen to what he says. He says, one who wants more than what Christ has established does not want Christian brotherhood. He is looking for some extraordinary social experience, which he has not found elsewhere. He he brings muddled and impure desires into the church. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. And when things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. So he becomes first an accuser of his brethren, then an accuser of God, and finally the the despairing accuser of himself. What Bonhoeffer puts his finger on is exactly the lesson that Jesus wants Peter to understand. That we are called to serve the church and not simply to, to see it as a means to our own ends. To be a Christian means that you don't view the the church or a community or any human person as a means to the end of your own self-fulfillment. Rather, it means that you understand that we are all in this mess together and and to have a desire for the greatest good for one another by walking together as we learn to follow Jesus. Because Jesus is the true shepherd of his sheep. And so when he tells Peter, I want you to love my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, That's really a message for us as well, to be a Christian. Second lesson that we have to get through our heads is Christians are committed to the life of the church. Third and final lesson, Christians are wholly focused on Jesus. Christians are wholly focused on Jesus. Here's what I mean. At the end of this conversation, Jesus says something that's rather shocking to Peter. He actually tells Peter about the kind of death that he's going to die. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. John writes, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God and then said to him, follow me. This is what Peter was referring to in 2 Peter chapter 1. This is the moment where Jesus said, this is ultimately where your life is headed. 
And, and I'm really indebted to another pastor for highlighting something. When he talks about Peter stretching, when Jesus talks about Peter stretching out his arms, there's kind of a double entendre here. On the one hand, to stretch out one's arms means to make oneself vulnerable. And he's telling Peter, is like the kind of life that you're called to leave is, is a life of vulnerability. But it ultimately is going to lead you to a place that will be very, very difficult to go because the other meaning of that and, and the way that that, was, that phrase was used in the ancient world is to stretch out one's arms means to be stretched out on a cross. And that's exactly the kind of death that Peter would die, that in Rome, just, a, just probably a few short months or maybe even a year after he wrote his second letter, Peter was sentenced to death by crucifixion. And he actually asked to be crucified upside down because he says, I'm not worthy to be crucified the same way as my Lord and Savior. Jesus tells him what kind of death that he's, he's going to ultimately face, how where his life will ultimately lead him. And Peter does what most of us do in that moment when he hears this kind of scary thing. He looks around and he notices that John is kind of following and, and he kind of tries to deflect. And he's like, well, if that's gonna happen to me. What about him? What, what about him? And, and what I love is that Jesus says, don't worry about him. What I want you to do is I want you to follow me. And herein is the lesson. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, the only way you're going to be able to face all of that is by being wholly focused on me. Being wholly focused on me. He's telling, he's telling Peter, focus on me. Set your eyes, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, everything you have on me. And you'll be able to face it. And the reason why is because Jesus truly is our savior. Jesus truly is our shepherd and Lord. He is the resurrection of the, and the life. He is our hope and our promise. And what Jesus is saying to me is saying, Peter, when you know that I'm with you, when you see how far I've gone for you, you will be able to face anything else that could possibly come your way because you know that in my hands, although I might lead you into difficult places, I will never let you go. Although life might be challenging, I will never abandon you. And although you may face suffering and hardship and difficulty, they will not have the last word because you are mine. Christians are people who set their hope fully on Jesus because in him is truly life everlasting. That's what shaped Peter. That's the lesson for us today, that we are forgiven, that we're called to a community, and that we have a hope that is from everlasting to everlasting. So with that in mind, I want to close in a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks that in you we have a hope that truly is eternal. And that like Peter, we can grow in wisdom and in maturity and in endurance, not by being perfect, but by recognizing that we're loved despite all of our failings and brokenness and imperfections. That we have a community where we're called to serve and to grow side by side, that ultimately we have a hope that will outlast anything we might face. And Lord, may that become our rock upon which we build our faith is the hope that we have in you. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.